This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher from PreachingToday.com in which we look at all facets of preaching and try to inspire and learn and the great and amazing calling to preach the gospel. I'm here with our guest today, Russell St. John. Uh, Russell, it's great to have you with us today. It's good to be here. Thank you. So Russell is the lead pastor at Twin Oaks Presbyterian Church in the suburb of St. Louis, and he's also the visiting instructor of homiletics at Covenant Seminary. And you have one more title, Russell, that you just told me about. You are the lead chauffeur for a uh, yes a uh, chauffeuring fleet. You want to tell us about that? Yes, I have. Uh, I have six children, all of whom are teenagers currently. Amazing. So I do a lot of driving around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I had three at one time, and that was you got double that. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, it keeps us hopping. <laughs> so we could talk about parenting advice, but let's talk about preaching. So, um, sure. So, uh, Russell, we're going to talk about the big idea in biblical preaching. What is it? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a good idea still, or is it uh, defunct? Uh, do we need a better idea than mm-hmm. the big idea? Well, we'll get into that. But first of all, I know you've been preaching. You've been a pastor for 21 years. You teach homiletics. Uh, at a seminary, and so uh, I know you've done a lot of thinking and practicing about preaching, but let me ask you this question on a more personal level. Uh, What's the best advice you've ever received about your spiritual life as a preacher? Not the how-tos of preaching, but the soul, your soul as a preacher. What's the best advice you ever got? That's a a great question. Um, You know, it's a a two-part answer, and the first part is have a have a keen sense and cultivate a keen sense of your own inadequacy. Hmm. Uh, you as the preacher are not adequate for this task. You have no ability through your words, no matter how well crafted and no matter how exegetically sound, to transform a human heart. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. You are helpless. And And that leads to the second part, which is you must rely on the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has the ability to take your words, human words, faulty words, and use them to do supernatural and miraculous things in the hearts and minds of God's people. And and so always remember when you get into the pulpit that the Spirit supplies the power, and otherwise you're speaking into the wind. That is great advice. I like to see myself as a preacher. I'm like that little boy in John chapter 6 with a couple of fish, you know, and that's about all I got, and Jesus got to take it. So, I, Yes, he yeah. does. Embrace yeah. your inadequacy. That's our motto. Um, yeah. Yeah, good place to start. So I invited you to Monday Morning Preacher because I was at the Evangelical Homiletic Society annual gathering, and I heard this really fascinating workshop on the big idea in expository preaching. And you were the guy that was teaching at that workshop. And uh, so let's just start with the basics, Russell, for people that may not be familiar with this concept. What is the big idea 
and uh, what makes for a good big idea? Yeah, so uh, a big idea is really, in, in a sense, a succinct statement of the the teaching of the text, the teaching and application of the text together. And the 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 term big idea, in some sense, was popularized by Haddon Robinson, who is kind of the dean of a late 20th century, early 21st century revival of expository preaching in in evangelical circles. And and Robinson encouraged pastors to to approach a text and, in essence, say what's the author talking about? Let's get a general idea. Is, is the author talking about marriage? Is the author talking about justification? Is the author talking about the end times? And then ask the question, what is the author saying about what he's talking about? So a subject and a compliment. In essence, take all the, the various materials of the text and bring it together to say in succinct form the one thing that the author is, is trying to get across. Uh, Brian Chappell calls the the same thing a big idea, a proposition, and and he formulates it a little bit differently. But basically, they're they're teaching the same thing that a big idea tries to say to God's people that which the text says to God's people. And so, a good big idea is first and foremost biblical. It's really done work examining what's going on in the text so that you can state succinctly, hey, here's the main thing that the author is trying to get across, and also what he's trying to do in you with what he's getting across. And then it could be catchy also, something that something that encourages people to lean in. You might formulate a big idea that says, since God is holy, you must pursue personal holiness. To, to make it something that, that rings in people's ears, you might change it and say, since God is holy, you better be. Huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so yeah. what, you, what right. you want to do is, is to try to craft uh, a big idea that is faithful to the text and that, that, that grabs people in a particular way and does to them the very same thing that the text is intending to do to them. Okay, that's really great summary. Um, so how, just personally in your preaching, how has this helped you? as a preacher, and how do you think it serves your people? Yeah, it, it certainly keeps the, the text preeminent. So you're really driving at what is this what is this text, what's its main point, what's its teaching? It prevents me from running off on rabbit trails, hobby horses, getting up on soapboxes, because, because I'm confined in my spirit to say what the text says and for the purpose for which the text says it. And it forces me to demonstrate to the congregation really— uh, things like the the connections between various phrases and 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 meaning, and w- when you do that, it leads to powerful application, because because if you can demonstrate to a person from the Word of God that the text obligates them to do A, B, or C, then when you command them to do A, B, or C, it's not just your opinion, and it's not just the preacher getting in my business or stepping on my toes. It's God in the text through the preacher, getting in my business and stepping on my toes. So it's really beneficial uh, to the preacher. It gives the, gives the preacher's words, if they're correctly grounded in the scripture, authority. It prevents the preacher from, you know, rabbit trailing. And uh, for the people, it gives them clarity, not only on w- what is true about this text, but also what am I supposed to do about them? Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Chappell used to say, give them the, the fruit of your exegetical labor and not the sweat of your exegetical labor. And I think that the big idea helps to do that because it, it marshals everything in the text to this, this, this point and makes it clear to God's people. Yeah, that's good. At the workshop, you were discussing how, um, there's some, 
controversy about the big idea, whether it's yeah. such a great idea to have a big idea. Sure. Um, so, and I, what I loved about that is you were really fair to that perspective, although we're going to mm-hmm. unpack why you disagree with it, but you were really fair. So yeah. give us a really fair summary of this uh, perspective. Sure. There's a, there's a perspective that says that uh, any given text is irreducible. And what they mean by that is that a proposition which marshals all the particular components of the text into a succinct statement or a big idea actually loses or distorts some of the meaning of the text because you can't reduce the text uh, without losing something. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it says uh, what you have to do is preach the text in its fullness with all the, the little details because if you try to reduce it, you're necessarily going to distort it. So don't make a big idea. And it also says that big idea preachers have spent too much time focusing on the sayings of the text rather than the doings of the text. People say things, but they also do things with what they say. So if I'm standing on the corner of the street and say, hey, there's a car coming and we're waiting for an Uber, I mean one thing by it. If I'm sitting on my front porch and my children are playing in the street and I say, hey, there's a car coming, I mean something completely different by it. So same words, but I'm doing something different with what I say. People who are questioning the big idea say big ideas focus only on sayings and not doings. And what we need to do is focus more on what the author is doing with what the author is saying uh, and spend less time worrying about the saying itself. And yeah. then and then there's there's also a sense in which the, uh, the there's a kind of a redefinition of theology taking place. Because the author is doing something in the listener with the words that he's saying, uh, those who oppose big idea preaching, in essence, want to to redefine theology to include that listener experience. Uh, so how the listener is affected by the text is kind of a part of the, the text itself. And therefore, the preacher should be a curator of the text, somebody who helps them to experience the theology of the text rather than necessarily focusing that theology into a big idea and proclaiming it. So... Where do you agree or find this a helpful critique to a focus on the big idea? Yeah, I I think that one of the ways it's helpful is to recognize that there are abuses of big idea preaching. Yes. And to locate what those are. And there are lazy practitioners of big idea preaching. I think one of the biggest problems is the, the refusal to do the same thing with the words of the text that the author does. So, for instance, I read a sermon. It was actually a sermon by a 19th century preacher, so he's old and dead, and we can talk about mm-hmm. him. But he was talking about Christ's teaching uh, uh, about the li- lilies of the field and how beautiful they are. And, and Jesus used that as a way of saying, you need to trust in your Father's providential care, and then trusting that he'll provide all these needful things, you can focus on uh, pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's what he used his words for. But this 19th century preacher used the same words of Jesus in order to debate uh, with deistic science about the nature of God's providential interactions in the world. So rather than using the text to encourage believers, which is what Jesus used his words for, this preacher took Jesus' words and used them for a completely different purpose. Hmm. So he was faithful to the words themselves, but he was faithless to the purpose. And sometimes that's a legitimate critique of, of big idea preaching. Yeah. I think one of the m- mistakes I made early in 
sort of my practice of big idea preaching was to basically bludgeon people with the big idea, you know, like mm-hmm. just say it seven times in the sermon. Yeah. Um, and Haddon was actually really subtle and artful and nuanced, but also very clear in how he yes. employed the big idea. Uh, so there is room for, I guess, artfulness, I would call it. And, yes, very uh, much so. You and can skill. Be artful, you can be artful and clear at the same time. So uh, give me your critique. Where, where do you disagree with this and why? Well, uh, firstly, the notion that texts are irreducible, and so a big idea will necessarily distort the meaning. Uh, I don't think that can be demonstrated from the Scripture. I mean, I think that, that big ideas, propositions, are used throughout the Scripture, and they're used not to distort the meaning of a longer passage, but to clarify it. So, for example, in, in take Mark 4. Uh, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and his disciples don't understand it. And then in Mark 4, I think it's verse 34, he comes back and he says privately to his disciples, he explained everything. In other words, he took a story and he he gave a propositional, big mm. idea explanation of the story such that they understood. And rather than distorting the meaning of his original parable, he clarified the meaning of his original parable. I think also that the, the distinction between what the author is saying and what the author is doing is a useful distinction, but I think that good big idea preachers are already doing this. Mm-hmm. They're already using the text for the purpose that the author intended. I, I also think that that including listener experience in the theology of the text is is probably unwise because what it has the effect of doing is saying, well, all the particulars of this text impact the listener in this particular way, and those two things together come together to form theology. And so there's no theology other than the theology of the particular preaching unit. So you can't use biblical theology, you can't use systematic theology, you can't use canonical theology in the pulpit. The only theology there is, is the particular combination of this text and its impressions that it makes upon the listener. But again, the problem is, in John 20, John has has given us these beautiful accounts of these seven signs of of Jesus. Yeah. But then in John 20, 30 and 31, he says, Jesus did many other things, but these are written so that you may believe that hmm. Jesus is the Christ, and by believing that you may have life in his name. In other words, he summarized, he did theology. He took those seven things, and then he brought them together and gave us a theological explanation of what those things meant. And that's important because I think texts demand interpretation. It, it's, not, it's not enough simply to stand in front of people and help to curate their experience of the text. Pastors have to explain what it is. And an illustration that I've used is if all I did is stand in front of you like a curator at an art museum and, and help you appreciate the, the art that is, that is before you, it's like... It's like a chef who prepares uh, a beautiful meal and it's laid out on a table and he walks people up to the table and helps them to appreciate the culinary expertise of each dish, but doesn't actually feed them any of mm. it. People, you know, the, the text has to be explained. You, you think of Psalm 110 and verse 1, which was for years a mystery uh, to Jewish people. Uh, and it's where the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Well, why would David call his own descendant Lord? Jewish men never did that. And so it was a mystery until Peter interpreted it at Pentecost and said, the reason that David calls his own descendant Lord is because his descendant is not just a man, his descendant is God. 
So there, so the text didn't explain itself. And no amount of standing in front of the text and showing the congregation its nuances and helping them to appreciate it actually explains it. It has to be interpreted and explained. So uh, I think that to reject big idea preaching because uh, it is subject to errors and abuses uh, is to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, abuse does not negate proper use. Yeah. And the scripture testifies that Jesus and John and others used propositional forms to summarize and to communicate stories and parables and broader sections of scripture. They did it all the time. And I think that uh, contemporary preachers are wise to follow that. Yeah, I think when it's done well, it does add a whole lot of clarity and passion to the preaching. Uh, So uh, let me ask you one more question, Russell. Thanks so much for all your thinking on this. Is there any last words of advice that you would give to us based on all of your experience? Yeah, I, I, I think it would fall along these lines. Work hard at preaching. Hmm. Uh, the, the idea, I, I think sometimes people get the idea that because the Holy Spirit must supply the power or must supply the increase, well, then what does it necessarily matter that I work hard? I could just get in the pulpit and say anything and he'll either use it or he doesn't. But I think that if you if you think of it, uh, when a man wants a nail to go into a piece of wood, he doesn't hit it with his hand. He uses the proper instrument. He picks up a hammer, and then it's then it works. Now you can make a nail go into a piece of wood using a wrench, but it's a sweaty bit of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is, uh, will I make myself the most suitable tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit that I can be? If you've ever if you've ever chopped down a tree with a dull axe, you know it can be done, but it's not fun. Mm-hmm. But it's almost a joy to do so with a sharp axe. So how can I, through education, hard work, experience, training, effort, make myself the sharpest instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit that I can be? Because if a human being wants to use the best instrument to accomplish a given task, how much more will the Lord use instruments suited to the task he wants to accomplish? And the vast majority of preachers that I've ever met that were really good at preaching, sure, they were, they were gifted at preaching, but they didn't lean on those gifts. They worked really hard to become excellent preachers and prayed really hard for the Holy Spirit to use them. I mean, I love the idea of, on the one hand, embracing our inadequacy, trusting in the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, but also we are the human instrument God's chosen to use us, so give ourselves to the task, be dedicated. Amen. To, yeah, it's a, it's a both yeah. and. Well, yes, Russell, it is. Yeah, Russell, I want to thank you for being with us on Monday Morning Preacher, and God bless you with your six teenagers. May you <laughs> enjoy you. this wonderful parenting extravaganza that you and your wife are in. Thanks for being with us, Russell. And uh, preachers, get that big idea and uh, drive it home to the glory of God. Uh, This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us this episode. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick, and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.